0: what some of her colleagues have said about my guest today. She's an incredible manager and amazing mentor. Since joining our team, she has helped us to become one of the most successful sales teams in the whole organisation, which is in no small part down to her skills as a leader while making things fun along the way. Here's another one. She is above all one of the most loyal and supportive leaders I've ever had the pleasure of working with. She works incredibly hard to drive results, having brought the team from never having made quota hitting every quarterly target since she took over in the region. A true role model and as a leader I would follow her into any team. I'll take one more. An extremely results focused mindset, unrelenting determination and honest communication. Importantly, she does all this while engendering a fun team culture. Ultimately, you won't meet someone who invests more of of themselves into her team. My guest is the head of EMEA for Gong. Wendy Harris, you're very welcome to the podcast.
1: Great, thank you Paul, delighted to be here.
0: My pleasure. Um, Wendy, there's, there's, there's a theme in that, in as, as I read, and there's many more I, I could have uh, put up, was that there's a, a, a persistence, a grit, a focus, a determination, but fun. Fun was the key word that came out a few times And I know you brought this up before on on other podcasts that you've done. Um, That's not an easy balance to strike. Talk to me a little bit about where that, that balance of being able to be hyper serious, but also bring in fun along the way and get the balance right.
1: I mean I think I relate it back to what I want when I go into a working environment and you know you might have heard me say I I want to roar laughing every single day at work I, I really do because um you know life is short the last year and a half taught us anything it's that we need to we stuff we took for granted um we need to embrace it and enjoy it and I suppose I'm someone who I think my family we all have a pretty good sense of humor we um we Enjoy. We don't take ourselves too seriously, and I definitely want to work in an environment where people can be themselves and what, however quirky that is. I I tend to be pretty eccentric, pretty wacky. (laughs) My my dog appears over my shoulder regularly. You know, it's uh, it's one of those things. I want people to bring, and I know it sounds a bit cheesy, but bring their full selves to work and be whoever they are. I would Mm. hate anyone to ever work for me and feel like they have to park themselves at the door on the way in. Back in the day when we had an office, they need to bring your full self and you get the best out of people when they can be who they are. So fun is a huge part of it. But in balancing with results, um, I think, you know, at the end of the day, we've got a job to do, right? And the way I view it is between the hours of whatever your working hours are, whether it's eight to six or or whatever that looks like, that's, you know, in my case now, Gong's time and I owe 100% commitment to the cause during that time. And then I really also believe very strongly in people switching off at the weekends and in the evenings and on their holidays everyone needs to be able to um, switch off their brain and some of the americans i've just taken over on my team they're literally doing trips to italy and i was like you're going to delete email you're going to delete slack and you know what the world's not going to fall apart so go and enjoy yourself you'll thank me on your deathbed so i think it's very important you get the best out of people when you let them be their full selves and also at the end of the day we're all human we all want to have a bit of a laugh um, but you can do that while also driving results it's not an either or
0: where do you think the work ethic comes from, that drive, that grit?
1: Uh, I think my family, we all, you know, we. I, I grew up, my, my parents have very strong work ethic, both my parents worked and I think, um, you know, I always I always wanted to do well in school, I always worked hard and I think it's something that I believe very strongly and I'd say career advice to young people starting out in their careers, whatever you're given to do, do it properly and to do it to the best of your ability um, you know in my career I've taken some steps backwards to go forwards and I've had jobs which people could technically go Oh, why are you doing that you know you're and it's like doesn't matter whatever you do do it properly do it the best of your ability work hard check your ego at the door and uh, good things happen and people notice you then so I've, al- I've always just had that drive and I think it comes you know I was I did sports when I was growing up as well I, I competed horses and I just very much strongly believe I'm going to do something I'm going to do it properly there's a flip side of that now as well, which is that I don't like getting involved in something like I don't know. You go out and you're like, "Oh, let's play a game pool." I'm like, I don't have to play pool. I've no interest in it, so I'm not doing it. So it's not. I don't entirely approach everything with a growth mindset, yes, but I, sure. if something I enjoy, I want to do it properly.
0: Okay. Um, before we get into the kind of serious stuff about the leader's journey, I'd like to talk to you a little bit more about the uh, the horses, hounds, and heels uh, tagline. <laughs> <laughs> i i i have to ask the question this you
1: that is me yes there we go and my full top hand tail so though too funny. there you go
0: that's that looked like you too then as well
1: that's me i'd lost the silk to my cap there as well yes so that is me yep
0: <laughs> right good tell me about that i'm i'm always fascinated in in horses as a as a hobby as an interest i i it was one of my bucket lists to ride a horse and my wife got me a, a, a lesson once but i'd love to tell you that we were i was galloping over just like you are there um, I was being led around <laughs> this big, 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 <laughs> um, like event center or I yeah. don't know indoor place, um, which was interesting. But uh, and and I've been on horses before, like in Colorado, places like that, in the outback, just again as part of a, a trek. But I'm, I'm fascinated. What's the attraction for you?
1: Uh, the attraction for me. So animals, first of all. So I think, you know, I, I, it's, I believe, you know, if I was to do a TED talk on something, I would do it on the healing power of animals, just being around animals, their soul and the relationship and the bond that you can build with them, I think is something that I'm deeply passionate about. and um, And it's a huge part of the reason that I love horses um and then also the sport like it's one of the best sports in the world it's a it's a the sport that i did was eventing which is a triathlon for horses but it's um it's men and women compete equally it's an olympic sport like that's so rare to have that and mm. it's something that you, you've got two minds two hearts the horse could make a mistake you can make a mistake it's extremely dangerous sports one of the most dangerous sports in the world in terms of death or serious injury i've broken many bones in my body but it's the adrenaline i get from that is like nothing um you know it, it does it, it's I'm always seeking the hit of adrenaline and the fuel and it's uh, it really gives you that adrenaline shot now mm-hmm. I will have to say I've hung up my competing boots unfortunately because um you know a bit too long in the tooth but I still own horses so I still have a couple of horses and my trainer competes them and I'm hoping one of them will okay. go to the Olympics in Paris so that's uh, so I'm living vicariously through my through my uh, through my horses now so um but yeah, yeah. but it's, it's a great sport
0: yeah, well, that bit of, bit I said, I'd love to do more of it. I was just taking notes here, broken many bones. <laughs> well, and I'm thinking, maybe not.
1: It's worth it. I, I got back on. You also have to get back on the horse. Yeah, like, every time I fall yeah. off, I get back on. So. Well,
0: well, there's something there in, in what you said that I actually think is quite powerful. And I'd like to expand on it a bit more. Uh, two things. You said you got to get back on. And, and, and that speaks to character. And secondly, you said two hearts, two minds. That speaks to me of leadership where you've got to, there's more than one. It's not an individual um, event, if you like. There's, there's, there's more than one sentient being involved in this. And if you're not working together, then it's just not going to um, work out. And I'm curious to know if, in terms of chicken and egg, whether some of those characteristics which are clear from everything I've read about you are present or was it those characteristics that led you into eventing
1: you know i did eventing from an early age so i started well, i started riding horses about eight and i actually competed at the european championships for ireland when i was 15 so i competed pretty seriously and again it comes back to when i do something i want to do it properly um mm. and so i i think i I don't know really Chicken Egg it's a good question. I think it's just I I definitely the bond that you can have with people and it's funny I've never linked it back to work until you said it there. I've never thought about it in that sense in terms of leadership and then but it's the bond it's asking you know you it you're not it, it looks like a solo sport but it's not a solo sport because it's you and another heart and another mind. So um well. and I believe you know I've had horses that would take a bullet for me and I've had horses that I um did not get on with and you know that's like people they've got characters there's some horses that you that um would literally go to war for me there was one horse I had you put a photo from up a minute ago who he was afraid of ditches and he I have many photos of him jumping a ditch and he closed his eyes when he was jumping it's the mm. yeah and he closed his eyes when he was jumping because he was scared of ditches but he did it for me because I, and you know we we loved we had such fun times together wow. and he gave me some of the best moments of my life so I think um i think developing a bond and feeling the trust and the trust bet- that you build between you yeah. as horse and uh, yeah. rider is is pretty special and we did great things together and i'm, I'm really he gave me some of the best moments of my life uh,
0: and, and that requires you to be exceedingly vulnerable as well because yep. they're big beasts and if you don't put your trust in them and, and vice versa i would imagine and and, and I'm and I'm thinking of and you'll you'll have to forgive me I can't remember her name uh, in the Olympics recently we had the uh, was it the pentathlon
1: Oh yeah that was uh, a disaster the, the, Yeah, yeah. It, it, and, and
0: because of that the 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 bond, no trust. Was, yeah
1: there was no there's the problem with the pentathlon is and I don't want to go down a rabbit hole here but the the difference to that versus equestrian sports where the equestrian sports competing at the Olympics is all of those most of the all of the equestrian sports apart from pentathlon they bring the horse and rider go together. They're a partnership. Mm. They build up the partnership for years and then they represent their country at the highest mm. level. They've had tathlons, a different sort of sport. You get given a horse, you ride over 20 minutes and then you go and compete. How mm. much partnership can you build in 20 minutes? Like, there, I understand that there is obviously skill involved with that, but it's 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 very hard under those circumstances.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, I want to talk to you about your career because when I was looking through it, I, what I was fascinated a bit with was it's this, like this, this U-shape that... You, you went from Trinity into uh, Goldman Sachs, as, and you said you worked as a trader and went, went up the ranks there. Then you spent some time I know in Davy um, when you went to facebook it wasn 't such a senior role and and that 's what fascinated me. I looked at that and I, and, I, and I was checking the dates to see now that can 't be right, but then I heard you say that you were what you were trying to do was transition from that job as a t- trader to technology, and that there was doors being shut and you put, you know, closing in your face, and that in order to get in, you took a, a step, a big step back in, in, in salary. That's something that not a lot of people would be willing to do. And I'm fascinated by the character. What is it? What's the, what's the thinking? that you were going through at the time that you said, okay, you know what, I'm going to take this, what would be pre- pre- perceived as a step back, clearly it wasn't, it was a step forward, but to what's conventional, we, we, we wouldn't interpret it that way. And, and I'm genuinely fascinated, I haven't seen it before.
1: Yeah, I will say I have made very few conscious career choices in my life in terms of I've just been open to opportunity and things have come my way. But this one, moving from finance to tech was a very, very conscious choice. And I spent a year interviewing with every tech firm and every tech firm slammed the door in my face and they wouldn't give me a job. And I mean, as an AE, I couldn't get a job as an account exec. I couldn't get a job as an account manager. Nobody would give me a job because the recruiters didn't understand my CV because I'd worked at Goldman Sachs as a trader. They're like, well, you don't know anything about digital marketing. So I was like, okay, um, there's some transferable skills here, I promise you. But yeah. um, I, I couldn't get my foot in the door anywhere. I couldn't, I couldn't, half the time I couldn't get an interview. And then the times I did get an interview, um, it was the the gap, what they saw. Obviously they saw, and to be fair, I agree with some of it in terms of the onboarding. My ramp would have been longer. So I get some of the concerns with that. But, um, I just swallowed my pride, and you know what? I will say I, I had the luxury to be able to swallow my pride. I you know, I had some savings. I didn't have to support family and ten children. so I was able to do that. um but I was really determined to make the move from finance to tech. Finance was great for me. I' worked there for over a decade. It was a wonderful experience, but I you know, I saw the writing on the wall in terms of everything was shrinking, margins were shrinking, people were getting fired. it was. Just everything. I wanted to be part of a growth environment, not a shrinking environment. And, you know, I'm very proud that I spent over a decade at Goldman Sachs. It was a wonderful place. I left on my own terms, and it was. Um, I, I, am always really proud to have worked there, and I still have a lot of friends from there. Mm. But I wanted to go, and I saw my brothers, but worked in technology. I saw they were happy. I wanted to move home to Dublin, and, um, and then honestly, I just it was a it was a bleak year because you Mm. do spend your you know Goldman Sachs is at the time was considered one of the premier institutions anyway in the world. And I worked with top talent and it was very bleak to, to have nose constantly, but I believed eventually something would open. And I did a digital marketing course to give me to, to help counteract that. Look, I'm serious. I want to do this. I did a digital marketing course as well, but also time and time again, I got told you're too senior for the role, but I was too senior and not senior enough. So I had way too much experience and not enough experience. And I will say to people, because people, a lot of people ask me for advice in this, Just keep going, keep banging on doors, keep asking people, just keep making connections. Eventually, you know, I took that job at at, at Facebook. I was on a contract and I was earning literally 10% of what I used to earn. Mm. And I just said, it's a foot in the door. Once I get this, I know that I'm going to work really hard, swallow my pride, be humble, do the best, everything's the best of my ability and the rest will follow. Mm. And and I really encourage people to think about if they can afford to do that, they should really Mm. do that. To make I'm
0: also curious because at one level, you know, at a technical level, as in, I took this job because it gave me this experience. That makes perfect sense to me. I'm also wondering, though, at some subconscious level, was there an element of there's a com- competitor? You, you know, you are a competitor by nature, and I'm wondering how much of it was also kind of said, look, here's how I can prove that I'm the real deal. That you know, I rose up the ranks in in this field, and now. I can do it again. I can do it anywhere just once I I get the technical skills. And I'm wondering how much, was there any element of that when you were taking on this role as well as a kind of a, yeah, here goes.
1: Yeah, probably. I mean, I was in my, you know, when I tried to do this, I was in sort of mid thirties, right? So Mm. it's like you leave it too late and it's, well, I think you can always reinvent yourself. But I... The competitor yeah i i just i always believe myself at the end of the day if you work really hard you have an you have a modicum of eq um and i'm very big on accountability the book stops at me if i'm successful i it's down to me if i fail it's down to me nobody owes me anything so i'm very big on that mindset people carry themselves like victims in the world and i'm not a victim and i just really believe that i if i'm going to do something i'm i'm going to do it to the best of my ability and I I I back myself and it's not that I'm not afraid or it's not that I don't question you know oh god is this job too big for me but it's like I'm going to keep pushing myself out of my comfort zone and keep as long as people will give me big jobs I'll do them and I know if I fail at a job it will not be because I didn't give it enough work I didn't work hard enough or I didn't care enough I will Mm. always work hard and I always care immensely for whatever job I'm doing what
0: kind of values do you most appreciate in others and least appreciate in others?
1: Uh transparency. I'm a very direct person and I think i um, I think someone once called me alarmingly direct <laughs> which I think is fair but I think you know the book radical candor I'm a big believer in that be be honest be straight it's much easier at the end of the day it's not about being rude but it's about it's Ooh. just easier to say what you mean. Um so the flip side of that is I cannot abide passive aggressive so people that talk about you behind your back but not to your face. It's like it's one of the worst things and it's like say what you mean and if you have a problem with someone you should say it to their face not behind their back um, and I think loyalty I'm a very loyal person I really appreciate loyalty and I you know I've had people multi- work for me multiple times and um, you know it's the biggest compliment I can give someone is to hire them again and the biggest compliment I can get is that they'll work for me again um, mm. so b- loyalty and trust um, and it, it's very important to me transparency And honestly, integrity, it's like at the end of the day, we all make mistakes, but like own it, right? Be accountable. Mm. So I made a mistake. Mm. If somebody comes to me and gives me the 10 reasons why, um, why the mistake wasn't their fault. It's like, I'm not interested in that. Mm. Like, I'm just, Mm. please just be honest. Own it. We all mess up. We can, I can put it behind me instantly. If someone is like, this is what happened. I'm sorry, move on. But if people Mm. blame and blame others and are not accountable for their own, um, Mm. mistakes, whatever, that really bothers me.
0: Mm. I'm wondering if you have a sense because you, you describe yourself as a direct person and if you have something to say, you're going to say it. I'm wondering if you have a sense of for some people that's exceedingly difficult and that might lead them to be uncomfortable saying something directly to you. And but maybe for cathartic reasons, say it elsewhere. Not I'm not condoning. it. I'm just wondering, is there a, an, an appreciation of that as well? And, and if so, where does it come from?
1: Yeah, and I think that's a fair point, right? I have a very strong character and obviously the more senior you get, the more scary in in theory you become to people. I like to think most of my teens would say I'm very approachable in terms of, you know, I have fun with them. I'm not a big believer in hierarchy. I don't stand on ceremony. We're all in the same boat together. I wouldn't ask them to do something I wouldn't. But I think, of course, whenever there's a power dynamic, it's harder to give feedback upwards. Um, And so... I very consciously try something I did in my last team is very consciously just this sort of speed back feedback sessions, which is you do, you literally, everybody has to say three things I appreciate about you and one thing you do differently. And that gives them permission to give me feedback and everyone has to tell me at least one thing they wish I would do differently. Um, and if I, and everyone does it with each other as well. So we do it in our leadership team or do it on the sub teams. And so unless I actively put them in that circumstance where they have to, it's going to be hard for them to do it. But I also try and, um, the best thing I can do, you know, feedback is something you don't have to agree with it. Um, you might be surprised with it, but it's an information which you can use to help you. So I never, I've trained myself because it's easy to react. It's like to say, thank you and then absorb it and come back and have a discussion with someone about it. So you don't want ever punish someone for giving you feedback. That's the worst thing you can do.
0: I'm, when you said thank you, thank you, what went through my head? And it's the most passive-aggressive thing ever, which is to say, I'll take your feedback on board. Yeah, but <laughs> I mean,
1: it's,
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. I, you know, when somebody says that, you're kind of oh yeah, there, it is. But I, I, what I'm, I'm fascinated by this as well because it's not something that people. It's the vulnerability thing again. You, you don't. It's not that common for people to go out and seek that feedback from colleagues directly. I'm curious what you learned about yourself in in the process.
1: Yeah, well, I will say I also had the pleasure in the last year of doing this Executive Women and Leadership course, um, which is something, it's a lot about this, and it's about, you know, I am big on vulnerability, and I am big Mm -hmm. on you've got to be able to, to people will connect with humans. And if you put yourself out there as, you know, you've got your life sorted and everything's perfect and you've got all the answers, well then no one can connect to you. So, and mm. that's also not true. Let's be honest. We mm. all, none, none of us are like that. So what I learned from it is I like, I'm very, I think I'm, I have a very strong character, but I've also very, I think I'm self-aware. Like I know I can be overpowering to people. I know sometimes I can be too blunt. And I, I try and think of it as in a scale of, because people say to me, about I I'm very allergic to being fake. I never want people to cons- think I'm being fake, but someone once said to me, you know, it's a, you don't need to be 10 out of 10 Wendy in every interaction. You could be 4 out of 10 Wendy. So it's not being fake, but it's like a diff- you know, you can soften it for certain yeah. people on a, a certain occasions. And I think that that's what I need to do because otherwise if you hit someone over the head with a sledgehammer every time, then that doesn't build trust and doesn't build relationships and you have to match the person in front of you. So yeah. obviously I've managed many different people throughout my career. They've all got very different styles and you, mm-hmm. have to, you have to mirror the style of the person. You're managing to get the best out of them.
0: Yeah, so. yeah. I, I've noticed that as well because I, I got that feedback. It's that if you're, assertive, if you're an assertive person, you can give off an energy. And it's it's not what you say it's the energy that people react to and and, and I think that's what it's the dialing down I like that term is to kind of bring it down to a four um, as I said i'm, I'm it, I've, I've had that myself and it's it's uh it's 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 interesting anyway um I, I wanted to pick up on something else you said wendy was and it was the juxtaposition you said that you did a women in leadership uh, course and you competed in an event that, where men and women competed together. I'm curious to know the differences, because there's clearly something in that. If you're, if you're dedicating a course to it, there's something about it. I'd like to talk to you about your experience of being a woman in leadership and what you've noticed, perhaps what has changed.
1: Yeah, and I will say, look, I grew up on a trading floor, right? So my first job was on a trading floor. I was one of, I think there was 35 traders maybe, and there was two females, right? So that was, so. and I have two brothers. So I grew up surrounded by, you know, very male influence. My my job, very male influence. I will say, and most recently, you know, I, before this job, I was dealing with car dealers. So that was, you know, so tech and sales and car dealers and trading. I've always been surrounded by Uh, heavily dominated uh, a sort of male population this might be a bit weird but it's also true is when I am obviously female I am obviously a a senior female leader but I don't approach things and think of myself differently because I'm female like I don't go into Mm a room be like oh I'm the woman in the room so therefore I'm going to be Mm -hmm. xyz so I don't I I neither wear it like a badge of honor or a Mm -hmm. concern I just it is what it is so um now I will say there's very few times in my life where I've really felt some, being at a disadvantage or something because of that. Um, and I can think, you know, there's there's two or three times, but I have addressed it if I needed to. I also don't go seeking problems, right? So I will say that I'm very practical about this. You know, you I assume good intent with people and mm-hmm. I, I absolutely will not be disrespected, but I think most people come into things with good intent. We've all said something off the cuff sometimes that in retrospect it was a bit stupid and if we could go backwards we wouldn't have said it myself included so I think it takes a lot to push me to a point that I would would um be be sensitive to that now nobody should ever work in any environment no matter you know what whatever sex you are with and feel disrespected so but I do definitely think there's a point there's a, a mindset I go into everything which is I'm a senior female leader. I feel strongly my responsibility is to open the door for as many more women to get through that door as possible and pull them up with me. And I'm very conscious of that, and I do that. But I also, as I said, I don't wear it as I'm not a victim, and it's not a it's not a plus. It's just I'm neutral. I'm the same.
0: Mm. Okay, um, I'm interested also in your your transition to to leadership. So you you got into technology working you'd had a marketing role and then you moved into sales and I'm interested in what the transition was like for you i know some people will often describe it as a year of of relearning all lessons um, but you you had a, a slightly unorthodox entry into that world so i'm just interested in knowing in terms of as you brought those in what it was like for you as you transitioned into leadership
1: Yeah, I think when, I I think you learn the, you probably learn the best from the worst leaders you work for sometimes, so, which might be a weird thing to say, but Mm. I think you can learn what you don't want to be as a leader when you see, you know, so I knew that I never wanted to say one thing to my team and do something else behind their back. I knew that I, I wanted to be as direct and share as much information with them as possible so that they understood the why, um, but I had to draw the line of friendship. So I will say, you know, actually the biggest struggle for me was, and I've been open about this before, is that, you know, sometimes mental health gets in the way, right? I developed a seizure disorder um, at my, you know, while I was in Goldman and oh. um, I suffer from chronic headache. And so I go into hospital three or four times a year to, to, to deal with that. Um, and so I had physical... at that point when I first transitioned to leadership I had some physical um struggles I was dealing with which also impacted my mental health because when you deal with chronic pain it's it's pretty debilitating um and so I think that my not being fully 100% well and also the burden of leadership and learning and everything being new and everything else it it takes its toll and so Mm. I think um you know, I can remember this couple of meetings that I did where I actually, I just really wasn't well that day, either be it mentally or physically. I just wasn't in the right frame of mind. And I went back and I apologized to people afterwards. And it's important to do that and say, um, you know what, um, I didn't bring myself, I brought something else into this room today. It wasn't related to you. I was reacting to something else and I'm sorry, I well, the way I dealt with that. Mm. Um, and I think it start, one of my biggest areas for development always is I wear my heart in my sleeve. And there's great things with that, you know, people will, you know, follow me into battle and take bullets to me with that and they know that but then there's the other side is when I'm down and I'm, it's really obvious to people when I'm not well, um, because I'm normally very high energy, I'm normally outgoing and everything else. And so when I'm withdrawn, people are like, Oh, what's going on? So um, so I think there was a piece around that, and, I, and I've I've very proactively managed my health now as well. Um, I can definitely still do a better job. I still love fried chicken and red wine, but, uh, but I um, I very proactively you know go out walk mm. in the middle of the day with my dog and try and switch my brain off for a minute and try and manage my seizures and my headaches. Mm. Mm.
0: Uh, if you don't mind me asking, I am I'm, I'm very very interested in this. I think one thing the pandemic has taught all of us. Well, I won't say all of us, but I, I would like to think most of us. How important your own natural health is in terms of boosting your immunity and staying healthy, and how that feeds into strong mental health as well. And I, I'm interested because I, I knew somebody once who you you remind me of that she had that grit, that determination as well in spades, like yourself, she's in a senior leadership role. But I remember sitting and having a chat with her one day and she was saying that she was having problems with grinding her teeth, which led to headaches. I do that. And and it came from kind of that always-on world we're exposed to where the the always-on combined with that powerful personality, that, that will, that determination to keep going and to do well, that when we don't take time out to take a rest from that, Mm-hmm. that it can lead to these subconscious things like the grinding, for example, uh, which can lead to the headaches. Uh, and, I'm, and I'm wondering if, if there's something in that um, that you're now looking at, well, uh, by changing my health habits, that it's, it's improving that. Just for other people listening, because I actually think it's a lot more common than people will admit. I think people are afraid to say, look, this always-on world, um, and, and I know you're conscious of it because you, you said it to your colleagues, like, turn off your phones when you yeah. go weekend. there's nothing like that. And uh, I'm, I'm a guessing that that was a, you, you came to that place, you, you didn't just start out there, that you came to that awareness after years. Um, maybe we could just explore that a little bit.
1: Sure. So, I mean, my first job out of college was Goldman Sachs. I started work at 6 a.m. and I worked uh, minimum 12 hour days and we didn't, I can count on one hand the 11 years I was there, how often I had lunch away from my desk. I ate breakfast at my desk, I ate lunch at my desk. I had nine screens. I was trading, it was as bad as, it was, you know, when I think about burning my brain, literally, and it was, you know, you're a trader. It's like, its the, I was on the trading floor when September the 11th happened. I was on the trading floor when the London bombings happened. I was trading um in London US financials when the um you know that during the crisis Lehman Brothers Bear Stearns. so I was in the most pressure cooker place I loved it I thrive I told you I thrive on adrenaline but it was not good for my health and it literally took me and I'm, ha- I'm happy to share it at one day I was working 10 o'clock at night on the Goldman Sachs trading floor on a Friday night um and there was only one other person still on the floor and I suddenly realized my right side was going numb and I suddenly lost my power of speech and I suddenly started having a seizure and so thankfully there was still someone there and he called the ambulance and and, you know I got brought away and everything and then the seizure started that was the first time and it was literally my body was like I wouldn't listen to it I was burning the candle at all ends I was also in an unhappy marriage at that point as well so I had no relief at home I was in the most stressful environment imaginable in work in the middle of the crisis financial crisis at Goldman Sachs trading US financials and my body just shut down. It was like, you can't do this. And so all the headaches and stuff had been building warning. I did, I ignored the warning signs. And then it was only when I started having seizures, I ended up being off work for seven months um, and every test and poked and prodded. And, you know, I was sleep deprived and out of hospital and they they did all these tests. And it's, um, it is the lesson that's taken me the longest to learn because I push, 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 push. And I always, I'm I'm a natural, very hard worker and I want to do the best. And I always give so much of myself but I've had to pare it back and so that's where I learned about the work-life balance in terms of the weekends and the night evenings and the um, holidays and it's why I don't want these younger kids who work for me to fall into the same trap I did I I say to them I don't want to hear from you for two weeks don't send me an email and you know what The, the hard and sad truth is and somebody once said this to me I haven't forgotten it if I got hit by a bus tomorrow my job would be posted the next day Right, it's like so. Let's keep perspective on this, and so it's a lesson. This managing health thing for me now—it's walking my dog, it's going to see my horse, it's hanging out with my friends, it's literally being outside in nature and not stuck to my screen. And my natural inclination is to work, 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 work. And the days my dog isn't here with me, that he's with his grandparents or something, I'm on my laptop literally nonstop from eight o'clock in the morning till you know nine or ten o'clock in the evening. When he's here, he makes me go out three days times a day. So he, you know, I know. Yeah, it's a constant work in progress. Mm-hmm. But, I'm, but mm-hmm. leaders need to lead by example, right? You've got to lead by example. So if, mm-hmm. I, if I don't do that, my team won't do it.
0: Yeah, and, and yes, it, it is very difficult though as well because it's what it's in you, I think sometimes you need, and why I think leadership is important, is that you need somebody else who can spot it in others. So if you have somebody working for you and you see them burning the candle, you'll know, and you can have a quiet word with them and bring them back on course it's harder when it's yourself. You know, it's the old physician, heal thyself. Uh, yeah. And I think we all have those, uh, they're not dark sides. They're just elements of our personality that in when, when they're in full flow, they're actually productive and powerful. But when they tip over, they then you tip over. Um, so yeah, thanks for sharing that. That's. It, I think it's important for people to hear that because as I said, it is, you know, I, I grew up in a time when there were no mobile phones. And if you went away, that was it, people weren't at you, you weren't always on, there weren't emails, and um, that, I, I don't think we were built for, for that, that kind of world. So I think, and we're still only adapting to it. Well, that's my view anyway. Yep. But, uh, so I, I think what you said confirms that as well and how important it is to, to build in the breaks and then yep. in between, you know, full at it, because I think you yep. need to, it's who you are
1: um and you know what i just say last thing on this is leaders listening to this don't send emails to your team at the weekends don't send them late at night even if you say oh you don't need to get back to me they'll read it they'll see it they'll start thinking about work like you set the tone right don't send emails when you're on your holidays Um, and like because honestly whatever you do they'll see that as the norm
0: Mm. it's funny you should say that i'm thinking of a guy and i i I think he's changed his position since this is about 10 years ago he said this to me that when he was uh, a manager in a sales team, he used to time, he'd send somebody an email, but he'd time it to go out late at night because he wanted them to think he was working late. (laughs) So sad. Yeah, it is, it is. I I think we're catching on to it, I really do. Uh, And perhaps the working from home bit and why people want to hold on to that is, that can also give them that space and time. It's easier to get up and go for coffee, where nobody's watching. I remember coming into work years ago. I remember leaving. It was like five or six o'clock, and people looking at the watches going, "Are you on a half day?" Right. Yeah. But, but when you're working from home, you don't have that pressure, and I think that does help. Um, I'm, I'm curious about your your looking forward now that you're in this. How long are you in the the role with Gong? Three months. Three months. Right. Still very early days, um, and you, your 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 job is to build this out and for EMEA what they've done in the States yeah talk to me a little bit about your some of the first of all I guess some of the challenges in doing that because that ain't easy there's so many hats I'm sure you have to wear doing it Um, but also the, the 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 vision you have for the business
1: sure so I'd say first of all like I love building so you know it's um It's funny because obviously people get, we get different approaches and people approach me to run teams of hundreds of people and hundreds of millions of dollars. That's not interesting to me. I liked building something from nothing. So I like this, the element of starting from scratch. It's obviously incredibly hard work, but the most important thing is impact, right? It's like Mm. you've something to show for it. So I think one of the biggest things I'm conscious of is recreating the Gong culture in Dublin. So Gong has an office in Israel Um, Gong has an office in um, in San Francisco or we have people throughout the US um, Mm -hmm. and it is something that I first of all the culture like it has a very unique wonderful culture we have operating principles one of my favorite operating principles is enjoy the ride which is a bit of an American term but it's like enjoy it right it comes back to the Mm -hmm. fun we're going to enjoy it we're going to work hard but we're going to have great fun along the way and so I think that's one thing building the culture Building the Gong brand and pipeline in EMEA, thats you know obviously a large part of even being on this with you today—is getting the name out there. I couldn't believe more strongly in a product. I've never sold a product I believe more strongly in than this product. So, I—the um, it, word everyone uses to describe it—is game changer. And and for anyone listening who doesn't know what it is, I'll just say quickly: it's a revenue intelligence platform, and basically it unlocks the black box of the conversations that people are having with their customers. Um. And it's the type of product that you don't know it exists. And when you see it, you can't unsee it. And yeah, so for me, it's about building the brand and building the pipeline, getting the word out there is a, is obviously um, what I'm focused mm. on. And then the third thing I'd say is, um, you know, there's a huge sort of element of foundational success. So we're actually not starting from scratch entirely in um, Europe. We have customers actually throughout europe and we have huge u.s deployments headquartered um, companies with big deployments in europe so how do we best service those customers now that we have a european presence because mm-hmm. while they might be u.s headquartered, they might expect you know local time sports and, and everything like that and, and people in, in regions so there's a number of sort of different elements to it Um i love it it's a really you know it's it's amazing challenge i think Internally, we're doing a lot of you know cross-functional org meetings, trying to pull it all together. There's multiple different work streams, and my job is to sort of set the strategy for it, work with the exact team, and then make sure all parts of the organization are bought, are bought mm-hmm. into the success. Everyone is responsible for the success success of mm-hmm. Amia, not just me. Yeah. Um, so, so that's so that's it's incredibly exciting. And yeah.
0: Uh, yeah. I can I can only imagine because, and I'll be honest. 18 months ago when I heard of Gong First, I was a little bit sceptical. My very first podcast, which I did nine months ago as part of this, the very first one was The Hidden Magic of Gong. And I did it with two of your customers, one based in Dublin, one based in the UK. And they came in talking about how they integrated... The sales behaviors that they wanted to change, how they built that in and use the product. I mean, it has other applications clearly. And by the way, I say that this is not sponsored, but uh, I, I, I'm a huge fan. I know Sandler in the States, have their, 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 they have an enterprise team that goes into large organizations. And what they do is they now insist if they don't have Gong already, they will actually put in Gong for at least two months before any sales training takes place. Because what they want to do is capture the practices as they are, and then they want to be able to look at them afterwards. Because, you know, any kind of sales training, it's very difficult in large organizations. You can't point to a bottom line and say, it was because of the training. What you can do is identify specific behaviors you want to change. And I've seen how customers of mine use Gong really powerfully to connect what people learn in the classroom to the application of it. And then they use that to coach it in as well. And as I said, I know there's lots of other applications of it as well, but that's where I've seen it really, really powerfully used uh, f- for that purpose. So, uh, exactly.
1: And actually, Paul, you know, I think anyone listening to this will have all been in the circumstance where we sat in a classroom for two days, got trained, the business spent tons of money on it. And then we're all released into the wild. How many people actually put anything they learned into practice? And how do you measure the success? So I think it's it's just like a no-brainer. You know, it's like we want to know. We spent all this money. Is anyone adopting it? And what are the results from it? We can now track yeah. that.
0: Yeah, that's essentially it. So you, I think you're going to have a great time with it because it's certainly a leading product. You're somewhat pushing out an open door. I still think because with a lot of complex products, people might struggle a little bit. You know, where do I put it? How do I use it? What's it gonna do? But uh, I think you've got a great story on that. So um, I, 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 I wish you every success with it. I think you're also starting with it. There's, a, there's also a base, particularly in the tech companies yeah. in, around the place that are already using it. So that that's a good sign as well.
1: Very much um, so. And I think one thing, uh, you know, I mentioned our operating principles. One thing is um, raving fans, create raving fans. And I will say, I always say this internally. When I changed my LinkedIn profile to say I was this, I literally had sixty-seven thousand views. <laughs> and I was like, "What is happening?" It's there's a level of obsession with this product that I've never seen previously with anything else. But I get it now that I use it. I get it, and it's like, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty special. So I'm excited. Yeah. I feel very privileged to have the opportunity to bring it to me.
0: Super. Um, we're we're almost coming up against time, Wendy. There's a couple of things I'd like to ask you. Maybe just go back to. Uh, some some personal things I, and I, a question i ask everybody is your your house is burning down and your your dogs are is it dogs or dog
1: one dog two horses
0: Do I, yeah the well i was gonna action. say i don't think the horses are in the house with you i'm just saying the dog really. the dog is safe, <laughs> safe.
1: the dog is okay.
0: safe and and your phone is safe okay
1: right.
0: and yeah you have time to run back in and get one object what would it be
1: well, one object is hard, but I'm thinking I a link a portrait of my horse and my dog. So there's actually two things. If I'm allowed to, it's hard to choose the horse and the dog. But there's two portraits I've had done as gifts for me, which are very special to me. And um, and yeah, I think I would get those.
0: Super. And uh, when, all, when, when, when all is said and done and your time on this planet is, 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 is up, um, how would you like people to remember you?
1: I would like people to remember me as someone who cared immensely. I don't always get it right, but I really care. And I really hope, and I I hope that I've, you know, helped a lot of people along in their careers. People have helped me. And I really, really care about people who work for me. And I want them to go and succeed and, you know, buy their horses, hounds and heels, whatever they want, houses, diamond rings. I want to help mm. them make that happen. So I'd like to be remembered.
0: Yeah. When you said horses, hounds, and heels, and then you said the healing power of horses, I actually had a, I think you meant a different heels, right? I, I did mean a
1: different heels. I mean, Jimmy Choo's, but- um.
0: that's, the fun, that's the fun aspect. That's the, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great tagline. I think you should put that on your LinkedIn as well. There you go. <laughs> very good. Listen, Wendy Harris, thank you so much for being my guest today. It's been really insightful and I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation.
1: Thank you, Paul. Really appreciate it. Thanks very much.